0: Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. All right, so we're, we're on week four of the Say What series. The idea of this series is there are parts of the Bible, there are parts of things that Jesus says that when you read them, you're like, What? What, what are you talking about? Like, so the first week we talked about the idea that um, Jesus says, hey, you need to, well, last week we talked about you need to hate your mother and your father. What? Right? Because the Bible tells us easily that we should love everybody. Or, or there's another one where, where Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Well, that's, that doesn't sound... That sound right. What, what, are you, what are you talking about, Jesus? And this is this series, because what we really want more than anything is that you could get to these verses. When you're reading your Bible, you can get into these verses and realize, hey, that's not going to trip me up. That's not going to mess me up. I know what they're talking about here. And so I'm just going to be very honest with you today. Today is going to be a heavy one. Today is going to be a weighty one. And there's really no way around it. And I would even say it like this. I didn't want to preach this message. I had another one I wanted to preach. And I thought this would would really work out well. I could get everyone inspired and we could walk out of here and all. all. But the Lord kept bringing me to this one. So when you're mad at me, go upstairs, right? Don't don't, don't come to me. But this this is what we're going to talk about today. And so, like I said, this is going to be a heavy one. I'm not expecting a lot of amens in this one. But what I want to do is sometimes the heavy stuff is what can change us. Sometimes the heavy stuff is what can fix us. Sometimes the heavy stuff is what can help us. And so I just want to pray before we jump into any of this. Lord, I love you. Got to thank you. Lord, as we get into your word today, to a pretty heavy topic. I pray that you would just use me. Got I believe that you prepared me for this moment. And got to pray that you'd use all of us in this room that we'd be open to hearing your word. Not push against it, but open to hearing today. Lord, I pray that you would just help us today in this moment, in this place. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in your name I pray. And everyone said. So the early 2000s—that was a weird time, right? I mean, uh, if some of you guys remember that time, it, it was a different time. Music was different. TV was changing. Everything was was different. And and I grew up in this youth group. Actually, I was I was in this youth group. Pastor Brent was my youth pastor. And every year, every year we would go on a summer trip to camp, or we would go on a summer trip to a mission trip, something like that. I, I was kind of looking at my just the, my life. And since 2002, I've been either going to a youth camp or a mission. Every single summer since 2002. And so when I was in this youth group, though, we used to go to Falls Creek. Anyone been to Falls Creek in their life? Anyone been to Falls Creek? Okay. Yeah. So I used to go to Falls Creek, and 2003, 2004, 2005, that was kind of my, my era in this youth ministry, and as we were going to Falls Creek, one of the things that you might know, and some of you guys might have experienced this, is at Falls Creek, there's this amazing experience, this amazing moment, and you're thinking, maybe it's worship in the tabernacle, in the tabernacle. maybe it's worship in the cabin. No, it's these things that we call icy dates, okay, and so in, at Falls Creek, when you go on an icy date, like, and let me just, can I, I got to be truthful up here here. Um, a lot of people didn't want to go on an icy date with me. All right, it wasn't like it wasn't it wasn't readily available for me a lot of times. But there was always the idea that maybe it could happen. And so I remember always getting ready for Falls Creek and always getting ready to go to Falls Creek. And so right before you'd go to camp, and maybe students still do this today before we go to our camp, but we, you'd get all your brand new clothes. Uh, we were poor; I got Goodwill, but we all we got our brand new clothes and we got ourselves together to get ready to go to Falls Creek because there was this chance that maybe I could get an icy day. Maybe, maybe, that, would, maybe that would happen. Now you're, now you're wondering, hey, Matt, shouldn't you go into church camp for Jesus? Yes, you should, but I didn't. And so learn from my, learn from my mistakes. So one of the things, though... In the early 2000s and mid-2000s, what you would see a lot, it was this weird trend, and I don't know if it's coming back, I hope to uh, God it's not, but it's this trend of, of men who would get, and I, I had to make sure I clarified the, the phrase of this, uh, frosted highlights in their hair, okay? And so one of the things that we decided before we went to fall Street one year is that, hey, Matt, you should get highlights in your hair. Now, I thought, okay, let, let's, let's go for it. I mean, if this is gonna up my game, if this is gonna work out, like I'll have all the ladies like hanging off of me. It's gonna be, it's gonna be incredible. And so a buddy of mine, we, we got together and don't know if you know this or not, but we're not hairdressers. And so we got together and we, we got the hair dye and, and we got it together. We went to the most reputable source of hair dye, Dollar General, and, 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 we, and we pulled it out and we, we got home and we did his hair first and his came out fine he he it was great okay and then then we got to mine and one of the crazy things is there's these things called a pullover cap. Again, I don't know these phrases, but a pullover cap. And what it is is you put it, you pull it over your head. Wow. You pull it over your head, and they have these little holes in it. And then you, you pull your hair out of those little holes that you want highlighted. Then you put the dye over it. And that's probably incorrect, but that's the way I remember it. And so I pulled the cap over my head, and we got it ready. And so and it's actually a deal. You got two caps in one, so it was awesome. And so I, I put it over my head. But you, you may... You may not have noticed this since being at this church, but there's one unique thing about me. I have an incredibly massive head. And um, what I didn't realize is the uh, pullover cap was made for people who didn't have incredibly massive heads. And and so I, I pulled it over my head, and it wasn't so much that it came over as much as it tore a few times as it went on my head. Didn't realize that though. And so I pull the cap on my head and we start the process of putting the dye on my head. The problem here was as the bleach was doing its thing, which whatever it does, there was some significant holes on this cap that we didn't realize. And so this bleach starts going into my hair and going around. I don't, I don't know anything about it. But th- there was a moment where there was an audible gasp in the room. <laughs> and, and in this in this moment, I thought, uh-oh, um, <laughs> because this isn't like, it wasn't like this moment where maybe you see your, your, your newborn, and you're just in awe. It's not this moment where you're in worship, and, and God's moving, and you're just in awe of God. This is a moment of, what, what have I done, right? And, and so, I'm sitting there hearing that, and I'm thinking, okay, it's, it's going to be okay. And, and so, we, we, we pull the, the cap off. And what I come to realize is from ear to ear, there was a visible blonde streak all across the back of my head. (laughs) Okay? Don't know how that's gonna work out. Now, I didn't probably mention this. This was the night before going to Falls Creek, and this was about midnight. (laughs) So I have this big blonde streak on the back of my head. Now, Again, my, my head is, is massive, and so maybe a blonde streak on your head doesn't mean anything, but a blonde streak on my head is, is basically, like, it's like a traffic sign. I mean, it is, it's, it's all there. I mean, at one point, the kids were calling me SpongeBob Squarehead, okay? That's how big my head is, and that's what this all, that's what this looked like. And so I thought, okay, well, what can I do to fix this? am I at a point of no return? And we realized, yeah, you are at a point of no return. And so as we were getting there and as we were trying to wash it out, I didn't know bleach didn't wash out. That's a new thing for me. And so I have this on my head, but also there were other holes in the cap as well. And I realized that if you've ever seen a Dalmatian, just do the reverse in coloring here. And just big, massive spots all over my head. And It was incredible. Now, at that point, should I go get my head shaved? Again, massive head, you don't want to see that. And so I didn't do any of those things. Could I have went and dyed my hair again? Probably, but I was so scared, I couldn't mess with any of that. Here's here's what I'm trying to get at in all of this story. There was a point where my friend was putting this cap on my head, he saw the bleach going everywhere, and he realized that we were at a point of no return, and we gotta keep going through all of this here's what I want to talk about this morning. Is there a point of no return in your relationship with the Lord? Is there a point of no return in your relationship with God? I See, I think a lot of times when we, when we have our walk with Christ and we're walking through this earth and we fall into temptations and we fall into sins, there's a lot of us, we get into this mode where we think, well, well, maybe God won't forgive me anymore. Maybe, God won't, maybe God's given up on me. And so I'm just going to bring this over real fast. This is... Um, I think a lot of times we take our sins, we look at them, and we sit there, and maybe we have a sin that's on this board, maybe we don't. Uh, I'm hoping none of you are sorcery, Um, but we look at this board and we sit there and think, "Well, well, can God really forgive me for this? And I've read all the scriptures. I've read all the scriptures. and say, well, you know, if you, if you confess your sins to God, then he'll, he'll forgive you and he'll take care of you and he'll do all those things. And, and that's true. And that's very true. But I'm gonna be honest, there's some really tough scriptures that we gotta deal with today. And again, the question for you is, is there a point of no return? So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Mark chapter three. Mark chapter 3. Early on in the book of Mark, really especially in this chapter, chapter 3, Mark chapter 3 is this verse, this chapter, where you see that Jesus has already done half of his ministry by chapter 3. It's, it's incredible. And in verse 6, we see the Pharisees and the Herodians, they're plotting to kill Jesus because they were disobeying their rules, disobeying their law. Not God's law, their, their law. And in this chapter, chapter 3, he heals people. He's cast out demons. He sent 12 of his disciples to go out and do ministry. And then we get this really interesting portion. Mark chapter 3, verse 20, it says it like this Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He's out of his mind. Just kind of a side note have you ever had family struggles in your life? All right. Have you ever had issues in your life with your family? Uh, in-laws, whatever that looks like for you. This is an incredible story where Jesus, he, he's doing all these miracles and his family looks and says, hey, there's something wrong here. And so they gather up and they go find Jesus because they want to bind him up, bring him home because they think he's went crazy. This is just, they didn't believe in him. They didn't believe what he was doing. The mama just wants her kids to be okay. And, and this was this moment. And so she gets fed up, and she goes, in and then he finds them. And then we move on to this next section, verse 22. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He's driving out these demons. So Jesus is healing people, and Jesus is driving out demons. And then the Pharisees show up and say, Hey, whatever he's doing right here, this is of the devil. This is a Beelzebul. This is not something that's from God. Beelzebul, by the way, is a name that can be translated out of Old Testament literature. It's translated the Lord of the Flies. It's a derivative of an old Philistine God. And so what we see here, really, a lot of scholars say that it could be called Lord of the House, which would make sense to why he says what he says next. Verse 23, Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. He says, how can Satan drive out Satan. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom can't stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house can't stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he can't stand. His end is coming. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Here, here, Jesus is telling him, what your argument is here, it's illogical. It doesn't make any sense. What you're trying to say here doesn't make sense. How? Would, why would someone fight against someone? Why would Satan fight against himself? I have this beautiful pig named Moo. I know that sounds weird. That's a weird sentence to say, but I have a little pig named Moo. I think I have a picture of her up here. That's that's my girl right there, okay? That's her lounging out. That's her spa day. And one of the things about Moo is she actually, um, not um, by my will, but my, my wife's will, she has a room in our house, okay? And she 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 lives downstairs, and she has this little a big room. By the way, it's a lot bigger than my own room. And, and she has everything that she needs down there. One of the things that we had to do, though, is Moo is very, very strong. If you've been around a pig, you understand that they're incredibly strong. And if Moo can get her nose under something, she could do whatever she wants. She can flip it up. I mean, like, we've had to watch our refrigerator because I've came home with her in my refrigerator eating out, out, out of it, okay? We've had to watch other things in our house. We have to lock things because she's just incredibly smart. She's figured out how to open doors. It's incredible, and so one of the things, though, about Moo is in her downstairs area, we have a door that we have for her, and it has two latches on it, and every morning, Moo has this incredible gift of waking up about 4 a.m., and, and, and it's a blessing to me, not really at all, but, and I sometimes ask, you know, with the most, you know, I work a hard job, and so Cassie, please, can you take care of this, and it's always no, and so... Um, So I go downstairs and I go to open up the door and here's what normally happens every morning. I go to open the door, Moo, even though I said she's smart, she, as I'm trying to open the door, she's trying to open the door the other way and so we're fighting against each other. And there's five minutes of me yelling some profanity, and then finally the door opens up, just kidding, and the door opens up and, and we get her out here. But there's a time there where we fight against each other trying to open up the door. This is what he's telling them. Why would Satan fight against Satan? Why is he going, why would that make sense? It doesn't make sense. And then we go on to perhaps, to me, the most terrifying scripture in all the Bible. And when I said this is, wise, this is gonna be weighty today, this is why so let's read, verse 28. Jesus says, truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. And he said this because they're saying he has an impure spirit. Jesus says, all of this, it can be forgiven. All of this, it can be gone. But there's one sin, one unforgivable sin, one sin that there's a point of no return, one sin that takes all of this away, one sin that destroys all of it. And a lot of people, theologians, Christians, church people call it the unforgivable sin, the unpardonable sin and it's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Again, I've read these scriptures that say, if you confess Christ, then he'll forgive you, and he's faithful and just, but here it says, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the only unforgivable sin. So so here's the question today, what's he getting at? When you read that, what's he getting at? And I'm gonna tell you, I've been doing ministry for nine, 10 years now, and one of the most common questions I get all the time is about this scripture. What does Jesus mean when he says there's one unforgivable sin? What does Jesus mean? Like, have I committed that unforgivable sin? What is he trying to get at here? And there's a ton of different ideas. So some people, they believe the unforgivable sin is suicide. Some people believe the unforgivable sin is murder. Some people believe the unforgivable sin is if I just say God's name in vain. What does this whole thing mean? And how can it really even... B, of all the things we fear, here's what I think Jesus is trying to get at. Of all the things that you and I fear in life, disease, unemployment, embarrassment, divorce, financial ruin, I think what Jesus is trying to tell us is the number one thing, I want you to get, get right here for a second, the number one thing that you and I need to be scared of, the number one thing that you and I need to be cognizant of, the number one thing that you and I need to be thinking through all the time, is do I have a hard heart? Like I said, there's not gonna be a lot of amens here today. Am I living with a hard heart? Am I living with a place in my life where I have no true inclination to the Lord, where I have no true bent towards doing what God's called me to do? Am I a person who can live comfortably in my sin? Am I a person who can live comfortably living through hatred? Am I a person who can live comfortably living an arrogant life? Am I a person who can be comfortable living with an unforgiving spirit? Am I a person who can be greedy? Am I a person who can deal with anger and have no issue with it? Am I the person who my heart is so so hard that that doesn't bother me anymore? Jesus is warning them of a hard heart, and I think what he's warning you and I of is a hard heart as well. And I want you to know that as I was writing this sermon, this was a couple weeks ago, I struggled hard with this. This drudged up a lot of stuff inside of me. And so if I seem like I'm casual with it, I hope you don't hear that because I've been wrestling with this for a week and a half. And for you, this is gonna cause some wrestle in each and every one of us. Jesus is warning you and me, do you have a hard heart? So let's talk about what a hard heart means. Number one, a hard heart. Here's how you know if you have a hard heart. A hard heart turns doubt into unbelief. So this is... It's hard for me to say, but I'm going to say it, and I hope we're not recording, but I understand that wrestling can be predetermined, okay? I, I, I can be predetermined. I didn't say it's fake, because I, let me just... Don't let me rant, but I guarantee you if you're 300 pounds and you fall down on your back over and over and over, it ain't gonna help you at all. You ain't gonna, that's, not, that's not fake at all, right? But I understand that it's predetermined. But, and so here's, I remember the day that I learned that it's predetermined and here's what it was. I was, um, I was 10 years old and the undertaker, I'm gonna lose half of you and I don't care. Uh, the undertaker was gonna wrestle Stone Cold Steve Austin in a Buried Alive match, okay? At 10 years old, I don't know why I was so excited to see someone die, um, but it was a Buried Alive match. And what ends up happening is they're wrestling and, it, and they throw him into this, this little uh, crypt thing and then they bury him alive. And I'm sitting there thinking, The Undertaker's dead now, what am I gonna do? And then four days later on the next wrestling show, he's there. And I thought, whoa, wait a second. Because he just died, but he's wrestling today. 10 years old, my mind couldn't comprehend that, all right? <laughs> 33 years old, it's still kind of hard for me to comprehend, but <laughs> I thought, okay, this, this, this made me doubt for a second. Like, okay, this doesn't look right. And then I could read some things, and some people said that it was fake, and my brother would make fun of me and say it was stupid and fake and, and all that kind of stuff, but I, I couldn't believe it, and so, I just started watching a little bit more though. I started looking and then I see someone like try to punch somebody and it didn't really connect but they fell back. I thought, whoa, that didn't look right. Maybe it was an accident, I don't know. And then I kept going with it and then I just started looking over and over and over and then I kinda came to the conclusion that maybe Maybe this was a little bit predetermined. Maybe there's some choreography going on here. And I'll leave that up to you. I don't want to spoil the surprise for you, but I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave that up to what you want it to be. But I'm gonna say this, doubt a lot of times is in our mind. And, and, and I'll also tell you this, if you're a Christian here and you have doubts, that's great. I don't think that's wrong at all. I have doubts. I have questions. I have things that I don't know what I believe on. I have areas that I'm sitting there thinking, well, I believed it this way, but now I believe it this way. I don't think doubt's a bad thing. And I think sometimes the church is pushed against doubt so much that it's caused intellectual people to say, I don't want a part of this. But I need you to know that God's big enough for your doubts. Does that make sense? Like God can understand what you're going through. There's areas of life where even the disciples doubt There's areas of life where Jesus is in a garden. And he says, God, is there a way we can do something else? Like, there's areas here of doubt, and doubt I don't think is a bad thing. Sometimes, actually, spiritual growth causes doubt inside of you, and that's a great thing. But unbelief, that's different. Unbelief is an act of the will. Unbelief is going towards something. Like, I don't want to have anything to do with, I don't want to believe this. The scribes in this story, they had no reason not to believe Jesus. They saw the miracles he did. They saw the things that he had done. They saw the people being, ca- the demons cast out. They saw the people being healed. They saw all of these things, but they didn't care about it. They rejected him, not because of their lack of evidence. Think about this. Pontius Pilate looked at Jesus on trial and said, this man's innocent. Judas, when he was, when he had finally betrayed Jesus and he's walking away, he sits there and he says, well, I've been Trade an innocent man. People knew who he was. People knew that he was the only begotten Son of God. They knew that he was perfect and spotless. The scribes and the people here, they didn't believe him because they didn't want to believe him. because if they believed him, that would change their lifestyle. If they believed him, that would change the things in their life that they didn't want to change at all. Unbelief is different. Unbelief is an act of the will. See, we live in a world that really it puts on a pedestal, the physical. We, we live in a world that puts on a pedestal the mental, but we live in a world that kinda just pushes away the spiritual. And the truth of the matter here is, this is where unbelief creeps in. And when in your heart, when it becomes hardened to the things of God, you take your doubts to everything but Jesus. Uh, I've seen so many people go on YouTube and, and they look at these theologians that have 120 views on their videos and say, man, that's an expert of the Bible. Or they go and they see these kind of cute little gotcha things out of the scriptures from someone who thinks that they know what the Bible's talking about. And they take that in as Christians and we let unbelief grow up inside of us. And I think of the story of the demon-possessed son, the man with the demon-possessed son, that he comes up to Jesus, Jesus, I believe you, man, help me with my unbelief. See, he came to Jesus with his doubts. He wasn't certain, he wasn't confident, but he went to Jesus, I promise you today. If you have doubts inside of yourself, go to Jesus, because he's gonna reveal those things to you. Will he do it today? I don't know. Will he do it tomorrow? I don't know, but every time, he's shown me something in the scripture, he's shown me something that I needed to know about. Hard hearts, they turned down into unbelief. Question for you today, Are are you sitting on the edge Are you just in these chairs because your wife brought you? Do you just sing these songs because sometimes they're catchy, but there's no true belief in your heart? And I would say this, if you're just holding on, that's good, but are you in this room and you're like, I don't don't really care about this, this doesn't mean anything to me, give or take, It, it doesn't bother me, might be a symptom of a hard heart. Number two, you guys with me right now? <sighs> Hard hearts cause us to treat the uncommon as common. Luke 8, verse 10, says, he says, t- he, he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables. He's talking to the disciples. He's saying, hey, the knowledge of God's kingdom, I'm giving to you, to his disciples. With the others, I'm speaking in parables. I'm speaking in stories. So that though they may not see, though they may not hear, They may not understand. Here's what he's saying, and here's what's really scary for me. This is what he's trying to tell each and every one of us. You can come to church. You can experience spiritual things. You can get the goosebumps. You can go to serve day. You can get into a small group. You can do all these incredible works for God, and you can still not know them. terrifying. There's a moment that Jesus talks about where he says that he'll look and he'll say, depart from me because I don't know you. These are signs of hard hearts. And here's here's a way that you can know or at least investigate inside yourself if this is you. When you read the Bible, is it more like a textbook to you? Is it more like, hey, that's cool, Elijah did that, that's awesome. And you think about it like, you think of American history, like George Washington, right? Like, I know he's there, but okay, what does that mean for me? And this is why church is such a complicated place, by the way, is because all of us in this room, we can get into a routine. We can get into this idea that, you know, I gotta go to church, I gotta find my passion, I gotta have my worship, I have to prepare my heart, I have to do all these kind of things, and then you can come to church and you do none of that or you just come to church because you're checking off the thing on the list. Here's here's where I'm scared. Some of you in this room, I think you've bought into an idea of religion and not into Jesus. And, And what ends up happening there is when you do that, when tough times come, you start to rally and get angry about what God didn't do for you, and we forget about all the things that we didn't do for God. And, and, and God's not putting us on a scale either. In fact, the Bible tells us if you're put on a scale, you'd be found lacking. But it's easy to rally against them for these kind of things. The scribes, they saw the work of God. Here's another part of it. But they folded their arms and they criticized it. And you know, in churches, we still have that today. No, these songs aren't Bible-based. Okay. Bethel is of the devil, okay. Are people really getting saved here? I don't know if they are, okay? We need to go deeper. Deeper is always a moving target, by the way. What I think he's trying to get at here is he's trying to remind each and every one of us, be careful of looking at a move that God's doing and saying it's not of God. Most of the time when I think about criticism in churches, I probably shouldn't say it, I don't care. Um, most of the time when I think of criticism in churches, most of it's not rooted in biblical theology. It's rooted in nostalgia from when you're a teenager. Here's what I know. Those songs up there, when we sing them, they ain't for me. I'm not singing to me. i singing to the Lord. When I give, I'm not giving with this idea of, well, Brent better make sure he takes it and does, it, does what's right with it. I just know that God's called me to give. Am I saying being ignorant? No, not at all. We're an open book to everything. I think what he's trying to tell us is, don't look at a work of God and say it's of the devil. Because that's a very, very scary place to be. Amen? Here's the last one, and we're gonna be done here. Hard hearts cause us to refuse repentance. And that's the big one. Hard hearts cause us to refuse repentance. We do a job, we do, and I believe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong here, but I think we do an incredible job of welcoming people into the church. Um, We have a guest service team, Colby and Christine run it, and they do an incredible job at trying to do, I mean, they're they're always thinking of different ways for when someone walks into the church that they can feel like they've been welcomed, that they can feel like this is a safe place for them. So like, we just started a parking lot team just so people could find a place to park at. And some of you guys are sitting there thinking, why do we we need that? Because there's many Sundays where I sit there and Clint Holt, our security guy sits there, and he looks and he sees cars come into the parking lot and pull right back out of the parking lot because there's no spaces for them. And so we wanted to kind of get that up. That's another version of of our welcoming team, we, we do things the way we do them because we want to, like some of you guys are so angry about how we keep the temperature down okay, and, and, but, but there's a reason behind that and, and, and it's because I'm fat and, and um, <laughs> but but we do a lot of things around here because we want a guest and our church people to feel like they can experience God, why are the lights down in this room? Because we want you to focus in on that, you don't have to look around at everyone else It's not because we're cool, because I promise you this, we're not very cool at all. But we always try to create an atmosphere for people. And we pray about that atmosphere. And we ask God to help lead us in what that atmosphere looks like. And and we're pushing and we're doing all these things. And then a couple Sundays ago, and by a couple Sundays ago, it was probably two years ago, I I talked to a person. And they told me that they brought a family member. I said, oh man, that's awesome. How, How did it go? Did they like it? No, they hated it. And I thought, okay. And, and, and then I, and so that was really the conversation. And I walked away from that conversation thinking, okay, well, we gotta fix some things. We gotta fix the way we're doing guest services. We gotta figure like, is our coffee bad? Is, is all, what, what's wrong here? Is, is, the, is there something in our, in, our, in our church that's messed up? Is there something going on that we're not doing right? What system is broken that we've gotta get fixed? What's, what's the issue here that this person walked in for the first time and they hated everything about it? And I had a clarifying conversation with that person again. And the idea wasn't, that they hated the church actually they loved it the idea was they didn't like how the church made them feel now then I started sit there and think are we are we rude people like are we mean to people like wh- what do you mean clarifying conversation it wasn't even that it wasn't about how the church made them feel it's about the holy spirit's conviction in their heart that when i came into church i could feel the holy spirit grab a hold of my heart and I don't like how that makes me feel because when the Holy Spirit grabs my heart, it means I gotta change some things. So it had nothing to do with our systems. It had all to do with what the Holy Spirit did in their life. And I hope and pray that that person, they, they, they find and ask forgiveness, but they never came back and you know why? Because they're hardening in their heart. They felt it and they walked away. The scariest thing in the world to me is that there's a day where the Holy Spirit grabs your heart and you just walk away from it. And you wanna know actually what's even scarier than that is when you don't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit anymore at all. Is there a point of no return? I'm gonna let you decide that. but I'm gonna help you real fast the book of Hebrews, the Bible tells us that Esau wept bitterly for an inheritance that he never got. The inheritance in the Old Testament was about the blessings from his father. But in the New Testament, it could be connected to salvation. That there was a moment where Esau wanted to find God and he could not. There's a moment in Revelations where there's a lady and they call her Jezebel, that's not her name but that's the name that they have for her, And that says that she looked for repentance, but could not find it. This isn't fun to preach. But what the scriptures say is that there's some of us in this room, that are on a line, and you might be close to stepping over that line where you don't hear the Holy Spirit anymore, where you don't hear God's calling your heart anymore. And maybe you look for something, but you don't find it. So what does that mean for you and I today? What does that mean? It means that you have to check your heart. do you still hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you? When you're in the middle of sin, is he still calling to you, get out, get away from it? Is he still in your mind leading and guiding you? Or have you turned over to unbelief? Have you started taking the things of God that are incredible and just made them common things, just a to-do list. Have you reached the point of no return? I don't wanna preach this, but here's what I would say. If right now that's making you question, or maybe there's some anxiety or a little bit of fear, I think that's the Holy Spirit calling you. Does that make sense? There's a good type of fear. A couple years ago, I went trick-or-treating with the, the Ryan and Tara Schroeder and we took their daughter Uriah when she was a lot younger. And I remember she got to the road, she was very young. She got to the road and when she got to the road, she started looking back and forth over and over and over. Why? Because she didn't wanna, she didn't want to step out into something that could hurt her. That's a good type of fear. This scripture for some of us It needs to remind us of our heart, and it's a good type of fear. Here's what I think he's trying to tell you. If you, in this place, if you're living with lust issues, if you can't get over that pornography issue, if no matter what you're doing, you haven't stopped, the Holy Spirit's telling you today, stop. If if you are dealing with a lot of arrogance in your life, he's saying, catch that. Look at that. If he's saying, hey, if you're dealing with adultery, if you're flirting with people, if you're constantly sleeping with other people, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and that doesn't drudge up something inside of you, what the Bible said, he's telling you today, hey, look at your heart and then stop. I'm not trying to be a 1950s preacher. I'm just trying to tell you that this is a big deal. And if you came to church and you sang some songs and you got hyped up and you walked out of here and you went home, there is a chance that if the Holy Spirit's not speaking to your heart, that there is a chance that there's there's an eternity that you're gonna go to. And I love you, I love you, I love you, but it's not where you wanna be. And so the Holy Spirit's calling to you today, stop, walk away. Get rid of these things. Whatever it is in your life, the story in, John 15, in Luke chapter 15 of a man and a father, a son and a father. And the father, he, in the story he represents God, but the son gets angry. And the son wants to live in all of this right here. He wants to live in his own lifestyle. And the son says, Father, I don't want you anymore. I'm tired of you. Do you know what sin is, by the way? Sin is willfully turning away from God and what God wants for your life. And the son says to the father, God, I don't want you anymore. I don't need you anymore. And so he gets all of his stuff, his inheritance, and he walks away. And there's some people in this room that have walked away. And the Bible tells us that the son walks away and he lives a really, really good life. Because you know what? Sin makes it really really easy for a while. But the son starts losing his money. Son starts falling into things he shouldn't fall into. I wonder by the way, if when the son was struggling, if he thought, hey, I need to go back to dad, but he kept living the lifestyle. Some of you You're in the middle of all this and I think today was this day to let you know you need to look back at your father. It's nothing to play with. Bible tells us sin is crouching at your door, waiting to not, waiting to destroy you. The consistent lying, the unforgiveness, The anger is gonna destroy you. The Bible goes on to tell us that this, the son, the lost son, he, he loses everything because you know what? Sin costs you everything. It costs you everything. And guess what? You don't, you don't determine what the cost is, the devil determines the cost. It costs you everything. Some of you right now, you're gonna watch your kids walk down the aisle with somebody else, not you because of whatever you're handling right here. Some of you have seen your family so fractured because of what you've been dealing with. And I love you. And this is a warning to you and to me. And the, the world, his life, it gets cracked, it gets broken. And the son says, man, I gotta go home. I gotta go find my father. I can't, I'm sitting here with pigs. I'm eating their slop. What am I, what am I doing? because sin is shameful. And he gets up and he starts making the story. Well, oh God, if, I, if I'm gonna go to my father, I'm gonna tell him I'll just be a slave for you. I won't be a son, I'm just gonna be a slave and I'll work for you. Just let me have some food. Just let me have a place to sleep at night. Maybe it's outside, I don't care. And he starts walking home. You guys know the story? He starts walking home and the Bible tells us that the father sees him. And I love the language here because it actually, it makes it sound like he sees him at a distance, which means by the way, that it makes it seem like the father has been looking for him. Get this picture. The son's been gone, maybe months, maybe years. And the father every night's going to the window, opening the window to look at him. Is he here? Has he came back yet? Has he came back? Is Is he ready? And there's one day where he sees him crossing the hill he opens the door where the father runs to him. As the father runs to him, he embraces him. As he's embracing him, the son starts the story. Well, God, dad, I'll, I'll be a I'll be slave. I'll be. He didn't wanna hear any of that. And the father says, no, 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 no. Forget this. You're home. Let's have a party. Let's dance. Let's have fun. I think a lot of us, we buy into the lie that God won't forgive us of all of this, that God doesn't care about. If we're caught here, that he's not gonna forgive us. And I want you to know today, and I need you to hear this, if the Holy Spirit's calling onto your heart today, you have not reached the point of no return. If right now you're sitting there thinking, man, I don't know, I, don't, I know that I've been struggling, but I, I know I love God, I just, I've been struggling with this. This is what the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you. Hey, come home. This isn't worth it anymore. Get rid of it. If you have that pull in your heart today, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit's calling your heart. You haven't reached a point of no return. But if you don't act, you might. I heard a pastor say a long time ago, God has a bigger eraser. And there comes a day that if you give your life to Jesus, all that can be erased. Run to the Father today. Give up your sins. Let loose of the hardened heart. The Bible tells us that He'll forgive us as far as the east is from the west, never ending. turn from our sins. Can I tell you, here's the worst thing you could do today. I don't want to get up here and say, well, you need to be afraid. You'd be scared. There's a chance you might go to hell. I don't like to get up here and say, but you know what? The Bible says that there's some of us that might be. And the worst thing you could do today is get in your car go to lunch or whatever you're going to do and just block this out. Because what we do as humans is whenever we have something heavy, we just try to joke and get away from what it makes us feel like. And maybe God wants you to feel something here today. Come home, come home to the Father. Everyone's head bowed and everyone's eyes closed. Maybe you've never had a relationship with the Lord at all. Maybe you're afraid. Here's the mercy of God though that you're here today. This is him calling to your heart. And the mercy of God would tell you this, that all your sins can be forgiven. That Jesus Christ is the son of God. He came to this earth and lived a sinless life. He never made a mistake. He never made, he never sinned. And he went to the cross to die for your and my sins so that if we believe in him, we can be forgiven. If we believe that he died and he rose again, that we we could be forgiven. Here today, if that's you and you're saying, Matt, I don't know if I've ever given my life to Jesus, or maybe this was all just an act for me, but I know that he's calling my heart. If that was you today, I'm gonna pray a simple prayer. You can repeat after me, you can repeat in your head, however you wanna do it, but here's the prayer. Father God, I turn from my sins, I turn from my mistakes, and I ask for your forgiveness. God, I need you. God, I believe you died on a cross. I also believe you were raised from the dead. And with that confession, I give you my life. God, even if I don't know what all that means, I know that you can speak to me and you can guide me. And it's in your name I pray. Everyone said bowed and eyes closed, just me and you for a second. If that's you, you pray that prayer for the first time. It's just, just you and me. If that's you, will you slip up a hand? Anyone in the room? Anyone in the room? Say that hand. God, I love you. Lord, I thank you for today and who you are and what you're doing. Lord, use us, work in us. God, I pray that something here It's connected into our hearts and gave us the good fear, not the unhealthy fear, but the good fear. Lord, I love you. God, I thank you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly... If this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.